This week's reading for the sixth Sunday after Pentecost comes out of Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as Jesus and his followers went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed her into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Then tell her to come help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. The gospel of the Lord. Well, folks, may the blessings of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. I grew up on a farm up in the northern part of the state. My dad had crops, and we also had animals. We had dairy cattle for a while. We also had at times, hogs, chickens, you know, different things. Typical farm. And as I was growing up, of course, I had chores that I would help with. And the thing on a dairy farm is chores happen twice a day. Milking of the cows happens twice a day. And then various other things, care for the animals and such, always needs to happen too. And I can remember, as I got older and my level of chores continued to increase, there were different responsibilities that I was given. And during one particular period, I can remember it was my job, it was my duty, it was my chore to go out and check on the chickens every evening when we would be doing the evening chores. Now, this was a fairly easy thing to do. Essentially, I had to go into the, the, the little building that had the chickens in it, and I had to check and make sure their water was full and check and make sure they had food and, and put down some bedding, like some hay or straw for them, bedding-wise, if they needed that, and to check to see if they had any eggs. And really, this was not an extensive amount of work. It really wouldn't take more than just a couple of minutes. But I can remember many, many, many times, as I was kind of a precocious kid, that I would go out and I would check on the chickens, and then I would allow myself to simply get distracted and not go back into the barn and, and continue helping with the other things that I was supposed to do. So I would just mess around out there on the farm, like playing in the grove or exploring things, doing different things. And inevitably, I can remember time after time after time, this is not a one-time deal, it happened a lot, but I, could, I would remember or I can remember in those times, inevitably, after a few minutes would go by, long enough that uh, my dad started to realize something was up, pretty soon I would hear his voice coming out of the barn door with a hint of warning in it, and it was usually simply my name. And that, that little bit of warning that was in his voice was enough to tell me, you need to get your keister back here in the barn and do the other things that you are expected to do, the things that you are supposed to do. You need to get back in here and help out. That is what you're supposed to be doing. I think that same general idea is also present within this very short passage that we have for today. Now, I really, really appreciate this passage, but we need to set it in the larger context. We've sort of been going through in, in subsequent videos, in subsequent weeks with our various assigned texts, we've been going through a progression of stories that all happen right about the same time. Now, in the larger narrative, Jesus has been doing his ministry, and his ministry in kind of a set little area seems to be done, and he has turned his face towards Jerusalem, which here in Luke's gospel, for a very large amount of time, he is basically making his way towards Jerusalem. 
Now, when he gets to Jerusalem, that's the events of Holy Week, which will culminate with his death and his resurrection. That's all the way a long, long way away. And there's a whole lot of, of passages, there's a whole lot of scripture, there's a whole lot of narrative that we go through during this time as he's moving towards Jerusalem. But what I really like about this whole larger section of the story is, of course, Jesus has already attracted a following. He already has followers. He has Christ followers. Now, we know he's got the 12 disciples, and there's also a larger group. At one point, it's described as being about 120 people. We don't know if that's the exact number. But he's involving them as well. They're following along. They're participating in various ways and in various times in the ministry. And actually, shortly before this, it's even in the same chapter, it's at the beginning of chapter 10, we have a story that was just featured a couple of weeks ago in which Jesus gathers 70 of his followers and he pairs them up into into groups of two and he sends them out into the various villages and the towns and the communities where he himself anticipates going. That has happened ahead of time. And that's important for us to remember today because Jesus gives some instructions to those pairs of, of followers, to those pairs of disciples as they go out. He tells them, as you go into the communities, the, the ministry that you will do, the, the message that you will proclaim is the kingdom of God has come near. And that's kind of it, regardless. But he also tells them, as you go into these communities, you need to be prepared to receive to be a recipient of the hospitality that is shown to you. When you enter into a town and you are welcomed into a house, stay in that house and receive the hospitality that they give you. Eat and drink what's set before you, and regardless of what that is, regardless of how it goes, you proclaim the same message, the kingdom of God has come near. It seems to me that as we consider this brief little passage that we have today about Jesus in the the home of Martha along with her sister Mary, he is now in the position of being the one who's going into the community and needs to be received. We hear Jesus is going along and he enters into this community and he is welcomed into the home of Martha. Now, Martha and her sister Mary, these are names that perhaps you're familiar with. We do hear about them at at other times Uh, particularly in John's gospel, you may be familiar with their brother Lazarus, who Jesus raises from the dead, and we hear about that in John's gospel. And we hear now, in this situation, even though Lazarus isn't named, but we have this story of this this time when Jesus is here in the the home, and he's been welcomed, and we don't know how many people are around, but we definitely know that Jesus is there, and Martha's there, and Mary's there, and then there's maybe some other unnamed people who are there as well. And we hear Jesus has been welcomed, and now Martha is fulfilling the cultural expectations of hospitality. And she is all kinds of distracted because of it. She's doing all kinds of stuff. I can imagine she's probably trying to get the, the, the water ready to, so that they can wash their feet, uh, wash all the dirt and dust off their feet. That was part of hospitality. She's probably trying to prepare a meal and get a bunch of food ready for at least for Jesus and the rest of these unknown number of people who might be there as well. And she's trying to get all of this stuff ready. And she's doing this, and she's doing this, and she's over here, and she's over here. She's very, very distracted. We hear she's distracted, and she's busy with her many tasks. Now, interestingly enough, in the original language, we could also say she's, she's distracted by her many services. And it's even the same word that could be said, she's, satisf- or she's distracted by her many ministries. She's got all this stuff going on, and it is dragging her attention away from the very person that she's called to be hospitable towards in the first place. Now, again, 
She's not necessarily doing anything wrong. She's fulfilling the cultural expectations of what she is supposed to be doing, especially since we hear it's her house. She is the mistress of the house. And the name Martha is actually from the original language almost dictating a title, mistress of the house. That maybe isn't even so much her name as it is her title. She's doing what she is supposed to be doing. But someone should be helping her. Her younger sister, Mary, who we hear is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, again, we don't have a ton of detail about what's going on other than Mary's distracted over here doing all this stuff and, and in my mind anyway, bouncing off the walls, trying to get everything prepared and cover all of the bases, thinking that I have to do all this stuff. And then there's Mary, who should be helping, but she is sitting at the feet of Jesus simply listening to him. We don't know exactly what he's saying, although if we think about the whole sending of the 70 that I referenced a moment ago, he's probably talking about the kingdom of God and how it has come near. That usually seems to be the basis for most of what Jesus talks about. But she is spending time. She's attentive on the guest. She's attentive on this individual. She's attentive on Jesus. This is not lost on Martha. And Martha, in the midst of all of her distractions, in the midst of all of her anxiety and worry because of all this different stuff that's taking her attention away from Jesus, finally she gets so fed up looking at Mary just kind of sitting over there not doing anything. She gets so mad that that voice, probably with a hint of warning, she says to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. I don't know about you, but I can't help but remember that word of warning in, in, in the voice of my dad when he would simply say my name really loud out the barn door, like, you better get in here and help and do what's expected of you. I think that same tone was very likely present in Martha's voice as she addresses Jesus, but more importantly, is addressing Mary, who's sitting there not doing anything. Lord, do you not care? I think that Martha asks a question that we can probably all relate to. Now, she's placing it in the context. Her question is, do you not care that Mary's not doing what she's supposed to be and she's leaving me to do all this? But how often do we ask the same question, perhaps wondering, Lord, do you care about these things that have our attention, these things that drag us away from our attention on you? Do you not care about all these things that worry us and make us anxious? And it can be any number of things. How many of us have asked that question? I think when we're honest with ourselves, we probably all have. Lord, do you not care that I'm so busy? Do you not care about all this stuff that I'm trying to do and nobody's helping? I feel like I'm by myself here. No matter how hard I try, it's never good enough. Do you not care? Lord, do you not care about this sickness that I just can't seem to kick? Lord, do you not care about the things that I worry about, the things that concern me? Maybe it's something within ourselves or maybe it's something in the larger world and we ask the same question. Lord, do you not care about what's happening in the Ukraine and how innocent people are being harmed and killed because of another country that's invaded them? Do you not care? Do you not care that children are sick or that they go to bed hungry? Do you not care that there's natural disasters 
and that all of this stuff happens and people are, are displaced or hurt or killed because of things that happen in nature that they have no control over. You name it. We all have those things that grab our attention and make us worry and anxious, and perhaps we wonder in the midst of those dark nights of the soul, if we want to call it that, do you not care? Again, when Martha brings this up to Jesus, it's in the context of don't you care that she's not doing what I think she should be doing. I appreciate the way that Jesus responds. First thing he does is he calls her by name, not just once but twice, Martha. The Lord knows who she is, calling her by name, just as I believe that the Lord calls each one of us by name, whether we hear it audibly or simply within the way that God comes to us in the presence of the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to say. The one who calls her and us by name then says, you are distracted, you are anxious about many things. Only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. I've often wondered, what is it that Mary has chosen? What is it that she is doing that Martha is missing because Martha is so distracted in trying to do all that's expected? Mary is simply sitting and listening to Jesus. And as we already mentioned, it stands to reason he's talking about how the kingdom of heaven has come near, the kingdom of God has come near, and in her hearing it, she is receiving it. Martha seems to be missing it because she's trying to achieve too much, what she thinks is expected of her. Now, as I think about all of this, and I think about the way that we, as followers of Christ, we fall in the same boat. There's a quote from the late author, Christian author, Rachel Held Evans, a wonderful, wonderful author. Unfortunately, this young woman got sick and died about three years ago. But there's a quote that I think speaks into this. I'm going to read it because I want to get it right. The great struggle of the Christian is to take God's name for us, to believe that we are beloved, and to believe that is enough. Let me read that one more time and break it down just a little bit. The great struggle of Christ followers, those who call ourselves Christian, is to take on the name God gives to us. That is one who is beloved. Then to believe we are beloved of God. And then to believe that is enough. The identity beloved one given to us by God through whatever it is that Jesus is doing through, through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. God calls all of us beloved, claiming us as beloved. We do not earn it. We do not achieve it. It is given to us by God. And that identity cannot be taken away. That identity, nothing overcomes. Maybe that's what Jesus is talking about when he says about Mary, what she has done or what she has chosen will not be taken from her. The identity, beloved child of God, is one bestowed upon us, not because of what we have done or failed to do, not because of what we have achieved or failed to achieve. We do not earn it. God gives it. This is the truth of the gospel and what it means when the kingdom of God has come near. In the hearing of that good news, Mary has received it and it will not be taken away. Martha is seemingly too distracted by all of the expectations of what she is supposed to do that she misses that part. 
But the one who calls her by name draws her attention back to it, reminding her of the truth. You too are my beloved one. And the truth is the same for you. You are a beloved one of God. You are a beloved child of God, named and claimed by the one who will never depart from you. And that will never be taken from you, regardless of what you may or may not achieve. It's not about earning it. It's about understanding, believing that God has already said this 